Lecture topic. Malfuzit of Hazrat Malina Ashraf Ali Thanwai. These gatherings are in the name of Islah. The first person that is in need of the Islah is the speaker himself. The object of these gatherings are not to learn something that might be something that we've heard for the first time, never heard of before, something new. It is the repetition of the same lessons that we would have heard over time. The object and the purpose is that these revisions, repetitions become a means of us becoming practical on these lessons, they becoming part of our lives. And the majalis of deen, the barakat and blessings that come in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam explains that whenever a gathering takes place wherein Allah Ta'ala is remembered, مَجْتَمَعَ قَوْمٌ فِي بَيْتِ مِنْ بُيُوتِ اللَّهِ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ then the malaika descend upon such a gathering. Allah Ta'ala's sakina and blessings descend. And Allah Ta'ala's rahmat comes down. So these are obviously moments when our hearts will be affected by the sakina and rahmat of Allah Ta'ala that descends. So that's the object and the purpose. We need this recharging all the time. I need it more than everybody. So the purpose is merely to just recharge these batteries of Iman. In that process, we will become inshallah a little bit more conscious of what we are supposed to do. Become a little bit more courageous to combat the attacks of nafs and shaitan. This is an ongoing need. There isn't a time when this is enough. It's an ongoing need. And to the extent that we keep this alive, we will find the benefit of it. One is a formal talk, formal bayan that carries on regularly, various occasions we have a talk delivered by somebody or the other. And sometimes this is conducted in a way by reading some of the malfuzad, the statements of the akabir. And indeed what can be more effective than reading the statements and the lessons delivered by the akabir themselves in their words, we can, our words, compare anything to the uh, ikhlas and sincerity with which they said something. So therefore, that has its own barakat, it has its own effect. So, in that regard, we have a compilation called Dawai Dil. Dawa, Dawa is the word we all familiar with. Medicine, Dawai Dil, medicine of the heart. This is a compilation of the Malfuzat, the statements of Hazrat Malna Hakim al Ummat, Hazrat Mashaf Ali Thanwi, Rahmatullahi. Many of us would have been fortunate enough to see the Akabir of recent times. Hazrat Mashaf Hakim al Dakhtar Sahib, Rahmatullahi. Hazrat Haji Farooq Sahib, Rahmatullahi. And many of the other Akabir. Many of these silsilas of these Akabir link up to Hazrat Thanwi, Rahmatullahi. And 
Allah Ta'ala had blessed him with that maqam, that position, that he was unanimously known by all the akabir of the time as Mujaddidul Millah. That he was among the Mujaddideen of the time. In one hadith sharif, Rasulullah Sallallahu says that Allah Ta'ala will appoint at the end of every century a Mujaddid, a personality that would reform deen, reform it in the sense that not the kind of reforming that is happens elsewhere. The reforming that happens elsewhere is that what is preserved, they distort that. That's the that's what they refer to as this as reform. They're reforming the law. Reforming the law, they're reforming the Bible from time to time. Whatever was preserved, they keep distorting that further. So that is not the reformation that is referred to here. Here the reformation is that those things that were not there to start off with, but over time crept in due to people's customs, people's ways, people's own ideologies. And over time things started creeping in. And what was not deen became regarded to be as deen. And this becomes the biggest challenge for people. Person is far away from deen and something then inspires him, something motivates him. So now he starts becoming conscious of his salah, he wants to perform amal, etc. Alhamdulillah. A person was far away from deen visibly, he now starts adopting a deeny appearance. All this, mashallah, happens with much ease. But where the big problem comes, problem in the sense that where people become very, very challenged, is to break away from customs that are not deen, but which have become regarded as deen. That becomes the biggest challenge for a person. Now this is where the mujaddideen, this is their task. They come and clean this out. Where people became so engrossed in all these things in the name of deen, which got nothing to do with deen. And sometimes these things become so deep that the original deen became, gets left aside. Deen itself gets left aside and the customs which are baseless, let alone being baseless, which are averse to deen, which actually go against the teachings of deen, that becomes deen in the lives of people. So the mujaddideen, this is their very great task that they perform. And this is no easy task. In the time of Sami Rahmatullah this was a very widespread thing. A lot of people had become involved in all kinds of bid'ahs and whatever else. And they began regarding this as deen itself. And with these efforts, mashallah, and the efforts of the other kabir of the time, ulama and mashayif of the time, much of this was cleaned and cleared. For those who might have not seen that part of life, Alhamdulillah, that's a ni'mat also that we didn't see it. But many people who are still alive in this country also, who had seen that part of life, so to say, in their own families, etc. And what they see now, they will explain to us how far things were. So in any case, that was a digression. We were talking about that this is his a compilation of his statements, his malfuzad. These are simple, very, very brief and concise statements on a variety of topics. There is no particular topic that is a topic itself. Whatever, there was no sequence that was maintained in compiling it. Whatever came in front as the need, whatever had to be brought in. 
So it's just a compilation of various statements, various malfuzad on a host of topics. And everything is nevertheless related to the same central theme. And the central theme is our Islam. So, inshallah, we will read from here a selection of these aspects, these statements, and discuss some of them. Inshallah, Allah Ta'ala make it a means of attaining that which is the objective. Objective is our Islam, our reformation. And every little bit also that we take one step forward, that's one step towards Islam. Islam is not something that is like a button a person presses, switches the light on in one moment. It's a process. And it doesn't happen in one day. That is Allah Ta'ala's hukam, that exception from the rule. Somebody in one moment, we hear some of these incidents sometimes. The person just overnight, there was a complete transformation. These are exceptions. The rule is that a person will make the effort, he'll strive, he'll struggle, and in time he'll get there. But he'll have to undertake the process. This is the rule, this is how it works. So, every little, sometimes a person thinks, well, I can't, I don't think I'll get there. That's Shaitan's thoughts, obviously, Shaitan's whispers. I don't think I'll get there, what's the point in trying? On what basis did the person make the judgment also, I don't think I'll get there? Is he regarding his own situation beyond Allah Ta'ala Nauzubillah? That Nauzubillah, I'm in such a condition that as if to say, Nauzubillah, Allah Ta'ala can't change me. Al-Iyazubillah, it is as if to think that Allah Ta'ala is helpless in our situation. Like sometimes, maybe a father becomes helpless about his son or a husband about a wife, or the wife says the husband now is beyond, I can't do anything about the situation, or whatever, whoever. So Nauzubillah, are we thinking Allah Ta'ala is ajiz? That is a very, very severe thought against Allah Ta'ala. Person must have fear, he must have hope also. Al-Iman ubain al-Khawfi wal-Raja. Iman is between hope and fear. So he must make his effort. Person makes his effort, sincerely, being insan, he might start walking and he'll fall also. But between walking and falling, like the child walking and falling, he starts running in time. And then in time he can sprint past everybody ahead. But if at that time when he was walking and falling and walking and falling, he said, no, he'll never ever walk. So rather don't even let him walk. Then forever he'll sit down. They allow him to walk. He sometimes walks, sometimes falls, but then he starts running and then starts beating everybody else. So this is the manner in which this happens. That's the rule. That's the general way it happens. That a person has to make his efforts. So every step that he can take forward, he must grab onto it. Oh, that, well, this sounds like, okay, a very standard thing. I'm waiting for something dramatic to happen. Then I'll, I'll take that step ahead. Oh, no, every, every aspect that we can start inculcating, bringing our life, one small step forward also is a step forward. That small step forward, if it's done with sincerity, that small step forward is a step towards Allah Ta'ala. And that one step can become sometimes the means of the doors just opening out for him. That might be just that moment of acceptance. And that might be that step which was very, very humble step. Not in anybody's gaze and sight. He didn't think anything about himself taking that small step. But in that moment, that ikhlas that came in that step that he took, in that one amal that he did, in that one dua he made, in that one 
intention he made to do something right, that just might be that moment. That might just throw the doors open for him. So, never to take anything for granted, any good that a person can do. The Hadith Sharif, it comes, لَا تَحْقِرَنَّ مِنَ الْمَعْرُوفِ شَيْئًا Don't regard any good thing as minor, as trivial. Don't look down upon it. Okay, this is a small thing, so don't worry about it. I'll get a chance to do something big, then I'll do it. For example, a person now, there was an opportunity to spend something, to give somebody something, but now he put his hand in his pocket, he realized he hasn't got his wallet. Then he put his hand in his pocket, the other pocket he found, there was a you know, 20 cents there. You know, when I have 2 rands to give, or when I have 20 rands to give, then I'll give now. What I want to do with this 20 cents, giving somebody 20 cents, he's feeling embarrassed about it. No, no, the 20 cent too, who knows that ikhlas with which that 20 cents might be given, might surpass all that ikhlas that he could muster in that 20,000. That might just become the moment of acceptance. So never to regard anything as minor, anything as trivial. In the hadith it comes, that Nabi Islam encouraging that if you're cooking something, then add a little bit more gravy to it. It will be possible to share with your neighbors. Share what? You're going to end up sharing gravy. Now, don't, feel, don't feel anything low about that. If you're to give a gift, now in those days, person slaughtered a sheep, goat, so the thing that would be discarded, if he could afford to discard it, would be the totters, the hooves. That would be of no use to anybody. And who would make use of it is the person who had absolutely nothing. So it was something regarded as a very, very insignificant thing. Nabi Islam says, if you have nothing to gift to somebody, apart from that hoof, now the animal has been all consumed or whatever, don't feel, that too is a, it's something. That might suddenly become that gift which opens the hearts out. <laughs> One Buzrug heard about another Buzrug is sick, so he was decided to go and visit him. The adat of the sick person is an ibadat, a great ibadat. Hadith Sharif, it comes, a person goes to visit a sick person, then 70,000 angels make dua for him. And an angel calls out for him, towards him, that your walking is wonderful. You've done an excellent thing. Your walking itself is wonderful. And you've built yourself a palace in Jannat. So now he was going to visit the sick person. On the way, it crossed his mind that I should have taken some hadiyah along. It's also something that creates Muhammad. So I should take some hadiyah along. But now he was already left home and he's walking, so he's far away. So, as he's walking, the twigs that were lying on the ground, that fall off the trees, so it's free for anyone to take and go. So he picked up a whole lot of those twigs, bundled it up, and he carried it along. Now anybody can see this, that this was picked up on the road. That this, this cost nothing. So when he came, he visited that person he came to visit, and then he presented this gift. So that Buzruk called his Khadim and he said to him that this bundle of these twigs and this little bundle of wood, so to say, take it and keep it aside. Make sure this doesn't get used up. Keep it aside. And he says, when I pass away, then ensure that the water for my ghusl will be, it will be, you need to heat it 
Because the water that is used for ghusl must be the same kind of water that a person uses to take a bath when, while he's alive, meaning that kind of... In other words, the person should be treated as if the same, same respect and courtesy to be given. So that same kind of water that will be normally the type of water, that temperature of water. So you're going to have to heat the water for the ghusl. So please heat it by burning these twigs. I have great hope in Allah Ta'ala that with the ikhlas with which this has been presented, my maghfirat will get made. It is that ikhlas, that sincerity. Very often nowadays, unfortunately, even in that exchange of hadiyas also, that effect is lost. Because that exchange of hadiyas also has become a customary thing. That if it is not done, then it will be a problem. If I don't give it, then what will somebody say? Now, I went to visit that baby, but I didn't take a present along. So now, say this person came without anything. Or now I went to see somebody now who is getting married, so now if I didn't take something along, then it will become, forget getting married, taking something along. They call for it in advance. That make sure you come with it. Not in so many words, but saying that there will be a bridal shower. So make sure you come and shower your gifts. Or there will be a so-called baby shower. First time we heard the word shower, I wonder what the shower all about. <laughs> Bridal shower, inna lillah, la wa la illa The baby shower, are they going to give the baby a bath or something? No, you will come shower the gifts on the baby. So now that's a sophisticated way of asking for it. Very, very dignified and very sophisticated. One is a person come knock on the door and say, please give me something. And this is a very sophisticated way. So as a result, it's now become more of a it has to happen. It's not happening because out of that muhabbat, out of that ikhlas. So as a result, after it happens also, there will be comments on it. This person brought this and came. He couldn't think of anything else. And oh, this we got ten of this now. Another one more came. No? So now it becomes like a burden now. So now all the negativity starts as a result. And then one thing beyond that, somebody mentioned, he says, no, no, they even, he got a message that if you want to bring a gift along, then you can go and buy it from a certain place. The person there's got a list of what was required. But now when he realized where's that certain place, everything there is beyond his budget. Because that's now at a certain class and level. So the whole maqsad and the whole purpose of hadiyah, tahadaw, tahabbu. When Nabi Sallallahu says, give one another gifts, tahabbu, it will create muhabbat. That is where that hadiyah is given out of muhabbat. It's given with ikhlas. It might be a small thing. It might be a thing which is inexpensive. Like this incident we discussed. It was a bundle of sticks which were picked up on the road. It cost nothing. It cost him not one cent. But it created such muhabbat. And it created such a wonderful bond between the two. That this person appreciated it in such a way also. And he said, please keep this aside. When I pass away, use this to heat the water of my ghusl. I have hope my maghfirat will get made. Now this is what this Islam is all about. That to the extent that the heart has been rectified, the true sifat and qualities of the heart have been acquired, that ikhlas, Ruju ilallah, turning to Allah wa ta'ala, the taqwa, tawakkul and trust in Allah ta'ala, and the love of akhirat and yearning for akhirat, trampling the ego, 
and all these various things, to the extent that is acquired, to that extent a person's whole mindset changes, his heart changes, he starts thinking differently, he starts reacting differently. So in any case, this was just a brief mention of some things. The purpose was actually to read from this kitab and discuss some of the malfuzat of Hazrat Maha Shafadi Thani Rahmatullah So, we're just selecting some malfuzat at random. The first malfuz here that is mentioned on this page is Islah Asal hai. That Islah is the main thing. In other words, sometimes the aspect of Nawafil, etc., are given very great importance, which is in its place, but the main thing of what is Islam, that is neglected. That is not even given due regard. That this is what's supposed to be the thing that I should be paying attention to. So this is what Hazrat is explaining further. Farmaya ki Islah mushil hai aur zikr wa shughal mu'een hai. Agar Islah na ho, to zikr wa shughal bekar hai. The example that is being given is like a person now wants to gain relief from his physical ailment. So now to gain relief from the physical ailment, there's two paths to it. One is to rid the body of the toxins and whatever other problems that have already settled into the body. And the other is to then help the body to regain its health by means of medication, whatever. Sometimes there are problems, there's toxins, there's a whole lot of issues. The person is not sorting that out, but he's taking the tonics on top of it. He's taking all the very, very nutritious food, whatever. But the problems that have already settled into the body, that he's doing nothing about. So the tonics he's going to take and the nutritious food is all just going to be just in vain. He's not going to bring the health back. There might be some temporary uh, boost for a while because something he ate, and, but the health is not going to really be restored. Now, in the Hakimi treatment, very often the first step of the Hakimi treatment is, that depending now, after they check the person out, first they'll put him onto a laxative. The Hakimi treatment starts off on that note. First the laxative, to rid the system of all the whatever problems are there. Because in the Hakimi treatment, the stomach is regarded as the seat of all the illnesses. Al-mi'datu baytudda. And the other part of it is, wal-hazmu dawa. Something of that nature. The mi'da, the stomach, this is the house of all illness. Meaning when a person doesn't watch what he eats, how much he eats, and he just keeps eating anything and everything, what agrees with him, what doesn't agree with him, whether it is now a whole mixture of things that all become a hot and cold and everything simultaneously. <coughs> so now that all goes into the stomach, the stomach then gives rise to all the illnesses because everything is getting all mixed up in the stomach. and So now things become a problem right there. This becomes the house of all the illnesses. And the other part of it is that what we understand as Perhez. 
that a person restraining himself from things that don't, that shouldn't be eaten, somebody something, somebody else something else, depending what his temperament is, that is the root of every medication. That is the real medication. The medication that he takes is merely a support. The real medication is that perhaps refraining from things that will be detrimental for him. So in any case, this is the first part of the medication, this laxative, to clear the system. Now that they gave him the laxative and his system has been cleared, now they'll give him the medication only. So now, boost the health and restore the health. That's the example Hazrat is giving of Islam. That a person making Islam, what is Islam? He's going to now cleanse himself out of all the evils. So Islam is the mushil. This is the, so to say, the laxative that's going to remove the harm, harmful substances. And then the zikr and shahal, the nawafil, etc., this is the very great support. But it starts off, the main thing is getting rid of all the toxins from the body. The main thing is getting rid of all the harmful substances. Otherwise, this will be a very temporary effect. The person now, mashallah, while he read Quran Sharif, he made some zikr, he felt nice, he felt a little bit inspired. But when he walks out of the masjid, he's back to square one. He enters his house, he's still behaving the same. He goes into his business, he's still doing the same, all haywire business. He's walking on the street, his gaze is still all over the place. Because the toxins haven't been removed. He didn't make any effort to sort that out. So then he goes in the same cycle, over and over again, the same cycle. So now, mashallah, whatever good he's doing, he's benefiting from it. But then it's all lost in the same run. The first focus of attention, all this will carry on side by side, but the main focus of attention is on the Islam. On rectifying one's weaknesses of removing the maladies of the heart, treating the maladies of the heart, the pride, the jealousy, the malice, the love of the ego, the love of fame, recognition, and all the various other maladies of the heart, rectifying this, working on it, inculcating humility, inculcating taqwa, inculcating uh, Forgiveness, compassion, kindness, generosity, and the yearning for akhirat. Obviously, in the height of all this, the love of Allah Ta'ala, ittiba'i sunnat of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, this is what this Islam is all about. And now when he will be making an effort on this, and simultaneously, obviously this is a process, he'll be making his zikr, ma'amulat, etc. All this now will support this effort. And he'll progress. He won't be traveling around the same block. Like a person traveling around the same block, now he's driving, say, ask somebody, phone him, he says, no, I'm just leaving, I'm just going on a journey. Very well. After a while, phone him after five hours, says, how far have you gone? He says, I've driven 500 kilometers. Well, okay, what distance you covered? He says, no, I'm still around the same block. 500 kilometers, I'm still going around the same block. I haven't gone ahead anywhere. He says, well, you drove 500 kilometers, but you're still around the same block. You can't really call that you went anywhere. So, the issue is to get somewhere, and the person has to move on the road. That is what Islam is all about. Moving on the road requires attending to these issues of the heart, and one's amal. This is what then takes a person forward. 
Nazar Malfuz says that gunahu ki kasrat ka asar. When a person keeps persisting in sin, an abundance of sin, what becomes the effect of that? What is the effect of this? Nazar says kasrat ki gunah se dil ka jis ka his kharab ho jata hai. تو گناہ کی پریشانی اور ظلمت کا احساس بھی نہیں ہوتا that with excessive sinning the spiritual feeling of the heart dies off like a person Allah forbid he becomes paralyzed or some thing or the other person sometimes some ailment now he loses complete feeling in some part of his body now when he lost complete feeling, now somebody is poking him, whatever, nothing, he feels nothing. Once when Alim had come from Pakistan many years ago, about 18, 20 years ago almost. So he was very, very uh, severely diabetic. And it turned out while he was here, elderly person, his foot became affected with gangrene, they had to amputate it. For some reason, he was very, very afraid of undergoing anesthetic. Afraid or didn't want to do it. He says, no, you can do what you want. Now, the local doctors here in Durban had decided that the only option right now is you have to amputate his, his toe. Two toes had to be amputated. So he agreed to that. But he says, you do what you have to do. But I'm not going to accept any anesthetic. So eventually, the local surgeon did the operation. He says, well, we'll try and do it. And they did it without anesthetic. In the local hospital here in Durban. So, well, one could be that the level of his attention towards Allah Ta'ala at that time, this is not something that hasn't happened. Hazrat Mufti Mahmoud he had an eye operation done in India, but they had diagnosed whatever it was. They said he has to undergo the operation to do it, but his body was not capable of taking the anesthetic, the weakness of that age, etc. So he told him, well, go ahead, do it without the anesthetic. In any case, the doctors decided, well, whoever the doctors were, they felt what he's saying, he knows what he's saying. They took it at his word, which normally they wouldn't have done. And they performed the operation. Later, somebody who was very close, said, but how you underwent this? It's a little bit of a speck of something hit the eye, and it causes such amount of pain and discomfort. You underwent an operation on your eye without any anesthetic. So first he didn't say anything when this person persisted now because of somebody so close and this was only revealed after he passed away. He says, Alhamdulillah, at that moment, I just turned my entire attention as if I am in front of the Roza Mubarak, offering my salam to Rasulullah I felt nothing after that. Now, this is not... We dare not try something like this because we won't get past that. We know we're close to this kind of situation. Sometimes we hear these kind of things and we decide to try something also. So we should never think we're ever close to that. These are exceptions. These are people of that caliber. These are not things normally discussed in a public gathering also. It just came up, by the way. But in any case, without anesthetic, they did this operation. So later on I asked the doctor, but... He says, well, Allah knows best, but it could be also that there was no feeling left. He was so heavily diabetic and as a result, whatever had happened over time, 
It was possible that there was no feeling left in that foot, in that part of the foot. As a result, he felt nothing. And he says that's possible medically that the person has lost all feeling, he feels nothing. There was one person who was a plumber, he, mashallah, towards the last end of his life, he accepted iman, tail end of his life, except in the last one year or something. And he passed away, buried in Smembez at the Madrasa. Uh, for years he was paralyzed, one leg of his was paralyzed. He used to walk with the crutches and planks, scaffolding on the crutches and so on, carry on his work. And one day he was sitting somewhere at night, and he fell asleep, dozed off. It was a winter night, and there was some fire burning for the warmth. And something sparked off and fell on his leg, and it caught a light. His leg started burning. He woke up with the smell of that flesh burning, but he felt nothing. The, f- the smell of flesh burning woke him up. But there was no feeling. In any case, this went into a different discussion. The point that he is mentioning is, and this is the point that the lesson for us, that just as sometimes a physical lump, it's there, but it has lost its feeling. Completely lost its feeling. Now something is getting burnt also, the person is not aware of it. This is the message that is being given here. When a person keeps sinning, then the feeling of the spiritual heart dies off. The sensitivity of that spiritual heart, it dies off. And he feels nothing. He feels nothing, he commits the most severe sins also, and thinks nothing about it. What has become the case? Those feelings have died off. And if those feelings were alive, then the slightest thing will cause a major concern. The slightest bit of something, he's in fun, can slip up somewhere, something happened by mistake, but that will cause him tremendous restlessness. And that will cause him great amount of unease until he's gone, made two rakats, salatu toba, four rakats, salatu toba, cried in front of Allah Ta'ala, shed some tears of remorse and regret, and sincerely repented. Now he feels some coolness coming to his heart, which is so to say the, the receipt that your toba is now accepted. Fine. Then only he'll feel at peace. Then only he'll be able to now get back to his normal life in a normal way, he'll now be able to eat comfortably. Otherwise he'll be eating tastelessly. And if that is not the case, the person has done anything and everything and he carries on like nothing happened. It's not like nothing happened. A lot has happened but it's not being felt. Why is not being felt? The senses have died off. The spiritual senses have died off. And that is a very dangerous point. Because then the slide can continue at a very rapid pace and a person will still not be conscious of what's going on. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. فرمائے کہ شیطان کے گمراہ کرنے کو دوسرا شیطان نہیں آیا تھا یہی نفس تھا جس نے اس کو ابلیس بنا دیا ورنہ تو ازازیل تھا پس نفس کا مغلوب کرنا کفار کے مغلوب کرنے سے اہم ہے اسی واسطے مجاہدہ نفس کو جہاد اکبر کہا گیا ہے شیطان بفور ہی بیکیم ابلیز ہی واز نون ایز ازازیل ہی واز ان دا ہیون ود دا اینجلس ایٹ دیٹ ٹائم دے واز اینی ادر شیتان ٹو کم اینڈ ڈیویٹ ہم ٹو کم اینڈ ڈی ریل ہم دے واز اینی ادر شیتان شیتان 
So what deviated shaitan? What made Azazil become Iblis, the accursed? There was no shaitan that time. What dropped him was his own nafs. Inna nafsala ammaratum bisu. That nafs within a person, that is what made Azazil into Iblis. Because that nafs became blown with pride. Ana khayrum min. You're asking me to bow down the direction of Adam alayhi salatu Ana khayrum min. I am better than him. Khalaqtani min nar wa khalaqtahu min teen. You created me from fire, you created him from sand. Fire rises, sand is, goes towards the ground. You throw it up also, it will fall down. Why must I bow down to him? Now this is the nafs, how it prompts a person towards sin. Others is saying that when this is how dangerous the nafs is, that the nafs is what made Iblis become Iblis. So how important it is that a person has to be making mujahada against his nafs to keep it under control. Because there was no shaitan that came made Iblis shaitan. It was his nafs made him shaitan. To overpower one's nafs is more important than overpowering the physical enemy. Because the physical enemy can cause harm to us physically. Can't cause harm to a person's iman. In fact, on that battlefield, the person's iman just increases. But the enemy within ruins the person's iman. So, while that has its own place, and that has its space, but the greater struggle is within. And that is to bring this nafs under control and to subdue it. فرمایا کہ در حقیقت یہ شیطان کا ایک دھوکہ ہے کہ گناہ کر لینے سے تقاضہ کم ہو جائے گا کیونکہ ارتکاب معصیت سے فی الحال کچھ دیر تو تقاضہ کم ہو جائے گا مگر اس کا اثر یہ ہوگا کہ آئندہ کے لیے مادہ معصیت قوی ہو جائے گا اور ازالہ قدرت ازالہ قدرت سے باہر ہو جائے گا اور ازالہ قدرت سے باہر ہو جائے گا دس از اے ڈسپشن آف شیتان Shaitan whispers this in a person, you see, this temptation has come into you now. How long are you going to fight this temptation? Now you're going to keep battling with this temptation. Now you're going to go perform salah also. The same thing is going to be troubling your mind. And you're going to surround with Quran Sharif also. The same thing will keep bothering you. And whatever you're going to do, you're going to just be keep being in this. The easy way out is, just give vent to this temptation once, submit to it once. Then you'll be free of this and be over. Then you can now really get back on track. Now this is all shaitan's deception and how shaitan drops a person. It explains that that which shaitan is now whispering in the heart of the person that, you know what, just do this once now and then this temptation will die off obviously because now you already gave into it. So now that it's died off, then finish, then you carry on properly ahead. Then you don't turn back. Says, but the issue in reality is that by giving, by succumbing to the temptation once, for a brief moment, for a little while, a person might feel that that's now over. That now he's done with this and he's now no more being bothered by this temptation. But at the same time what has happened is that the roots have gone deeper. By giving, by succumbing to it, he has deepened the roots. So it will just be a short while before it comes back even stronger than the first time. 
The first time he thought, well, now I'm feeling very comfortable, I'm over with this, I did what I had to do and now I made Toba and done, so now it won't happen to me again, rather good, I just got done with it. No, no, by succumbing to it, he watered the roots, he strengthened the roots. Now when he comes back, he'll come back with more strength. Now he feels that, okay, let's get done with this one more time and then it'll be fine. The next time he succumbed to it again, he merely strengthened it further. So there's a temporary relief, some, call, some sort of, you might call it relief for whatever, for the lack of a better word, but it's not any relief in reality. In reality, it is just the digging of the foundation now for more grief, because this will come with a vengeance. It will come with much more force. And as a result, in time, then a person finds himself helpless in trying to uproot it. There's a stage where he just keeps denying it. That, no, there's no problem. You know, this was something I just, I just looked at this once, once off. I didn't have any issue. I didn't need to look at it. I just looked at this haram and just, it was just a chance thing. Then the second time it became another chance thing. And then now he keeps taking chances. Then he finally, when things come to a head and he's causing chaos around him, now he sees suddenly his marriage is on the rocks and whatever else is happening. Now he comes to terms with the reality that yes this is a problem and it's a big problem so now he decides I, I want to stop this now he has finally himself decided I want to stop it but that force within him is so strong that people have gone for counseling they have gone for medical treatment to get over these kind of addictions and after all that they still right to say but I'm still failing because this has now, it's not something that can be just wished away. person allowed this to become so deep within him. Now the person says, no, no, fine, uh, I'll sort it out later. Then that later, you know, I'm planning to get married in three years time. Maybe one and a half years time I'll stop all this. One and a half years time, after one and a half years I'll have left till, I'll then, everything will be on track. Before he knows it, he's got one and a half months left before he gets married. Now he says, no, no, okay, see, I'm getting married next week, one more week, enjoy life. And then finally he got married, so for one week he forgot about it, the novelty of marriage made him forget it, but then after one week, everything suddenly started coming back, because he's there, he's not gone anywhere. It just got a little bit distracted for a while. But when it's not gone, it then surfaces its head again. And now suddenly... Everything starts becoming a problem, one thing leads to another, and then there's so much of chaos around him. But where it started off from? Succumbing to that initial temptation. That was the first time that a person thought, well, this is a small thing, just fine. But that small thing doesn't say small, the small thing grows and it becomes bigger, and then Allah forbid, the roots get so deep, there is that, Rum Rahmatullah has mentioned that incident, these are all stories for the moral that Sheikh Shoka, Shoka actually in Arabic Shok, thorn. So this person had one thorny tree growing in his yard. So now sometimes children are passing by and it was a small little tree. Somebody is brushing past it, they are getting scratched with it. And then sometimes the thorns are falling in the pathway, somebody is getting poked with the thorn. So every time people are complaining to him, please take this tree out. 
We say, okay, tomorrow. Again, nobody complains, you know, tomorrow I'll take it out. And now every day is tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. In the meantime, the tree is growing further. And the roots are getting deeper. And the trunk is getting wider. Now as time went, and now this is causing so much of harm, and somebody's child now got hurt badly, and so many other things happened. But in the meantime, years had passed. And the tree became extremely strong. And in the meantime, this person became old and weak. Now when things came to a head, the whole community got together and then complained to the Qazi. This person is really causing havoc for us now. This is right the main only pathway that we all have to cross past. And his tawny tree is right there and causing so much of pain to our children and to all of us. The Qazi summoned him. If this tree is not chopped by tomorrow or gave him a small deadline, then you are going to be imprisoned. Now he got a shock of his life. So now he took that axe and went. But now he's knocking that axe. There's no strength in his hands. He's not even making a dent on the, on the trunk. Because the trunk is so strong. Oh. Now he's sitting helplessly and crying. Now this is a story for moral. That when the time was there to easily uproot it. It was still small. It was still easy. The roots were just barely on the, under the surface. With a minimal effort it could have been uprooted. At that time he kept on saying tomorrow. And that tomorrow never comes in. When a person keeps saying tomorrow, what he says now, that is what happens. When a person makes the azam, this has to happen now. Sometimes a person might think, but now, how can I do it now? Like for example, we say right now, we have to give up whatever, anything in our life that is becoming a problem. How can it happen now? So yes, it can happen now. Can happen now simply by already making that azam, that determination within ourselves. Ya Allah, I want to stop this right now. With your grace, I have given it up. Ya Allah, you protect me. What the future holds, that's not in his control now. But what is in his control now, he did. That becomes a stepping stone to now walking forward. But if he postpones even that toba for later, that later doesn't come. What he can do now, he must do now. He can make that sincere intention from his heart. He can make toba from his heart. He must do that. Why delay that for the next minute when now is possible to do it? So same, the same situation here that this was tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. But in the meantime, every passing day the person is getting weaker and that is getting stronger. So likewise, those vices, those evils start getting deeper in a person. And his ruh gets weaker. Now when the time comes, then now it's a major struggle. Then it requires an ICU situation. The person now needs to be admitted to an intensive care. And then over a period of time, that will hopefully get him back to where he should be. But that is the process by which then it happens. Just to finish off one more malfus for now. The title of this is Tahajjud ki tawfiq par naaz na karo balki niyaz aur shukar karo. Farmaya ke Allah Ta'ala apne khas bandho ko jo tahajjud ke aadhi hai waqt par jaga kar apne saath hum kalam hone ka sharf dete hai. Isliye bajaye naaz ke niyaz aur shukar chahe. It says that those special servants of Allah Ta'ala who are habitual with their tahajjud. Yeah, mashallah many such people who are being referred to in this that those who are habitual of their tahajjud the special grace comes from Allah Ta'ala that they are, that their eyes open on time. Mm. Meaning without any external help as well. 
15 mashallah or asatiza while traveling with them or mashayikh no need for any alarm no need for anybody to tell them anything on time they are up now this is a special grace of Allah Ta'ala and as I was saying somebody Allah Ta'ala has blessed with this and for that matter any khair any act of righteousness whether the person had to put some alarms on that too is Allah Ta'ala's grace otherwise many a person puts the alarm on and doesn't hear it so that too is Allah Ta'ala's grace that Allah Ta'ala enabled him to hear that alarm then the person hears the alarm many a person hears the alarm switches it off and keeps sleeping through Fajr also so Allah Ta'ala's grace Allah Ta'ala enabled him to hear the alarm enabled him to respond at that time and wake up and get up for the Tahajjud Salah and if not for Tahajjud at least for the Fajr Salah all that is Allah Ta'ala's grace this should never be a basis of any kind of pride any kind of vanity I did this I am doing this never this is actually a, a point of shukr that a person should be very very grateful to Allah Ta'ala Allah purely out of your grace you have enabled me to do this otherwise who am I what am I what capacity do I have what strength and ability do I have if it was not for your grace I can't lift a finger Allah you enable this to happen so a person in this kind of situation should be very very deeply grateful to Allah Ta'ala and express this gratitude to Allah Ta'ala by his obedience further this is what's required not any kind of pride and any kind of vanity Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq